0: Welcome, you're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, good morning, everybody. Manuel Luz, also from Oak Hills Church. (laughs) Um, We are in this uh, uh, June Arts Month series, and so right off the top, I just want to ask, by a quick show of hands, how many of you consider yourselves artists? Not very many. Well, I want you to know... That you are an artist. You may have just forgotten that you were um, over the course of time, but we'll get to that. Right up front, I'd like to explain that we're going to be doing something a little bit differently today. I have invited Julie Lucan to be on stage with me. Julie, come on up. Yes, welcome her warmly. So here's the deal. As I share the message this morning, um, she's going to be painting alongside of me. In a sense... We'll both be preaching today's sermon, only I'll be using words and she'll be using a paintbrush. Okay, does that make sense? Also, um, I may be throwing some potentially weird and deep thoughts at you today, so I need all the help that I can get here. One other thing before we begin, um, I have been an advocate for faith and the arts for over a decade, and it all um, launched because of this book that I wrote a long time ago. It's called Imagine That. It's been described as a theology of the arts for dummies. So if you're interested in this, I encourage you to go out to the Grand Piano out in the lobby today. And there's a stack of these books, and you can go ahead and grab one for free, compliments of Oak Hill's Church, okay? Okay, our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. I love being able to say this, Genesis 1-1 to 2-2 on page 1. Let's all stand together. I encourage you to to follow along, and then I'm going to do something else here that's different. Whenever it gets to the section that it says, it was good, I want you all to say it with me. It was good. Okay? Okay, Genesis 1.1. It's a long passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures and of the sea and every living thing that which the water teems and that moves about it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the the livestock the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals each according to its kind and it was so god made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds and god saw that it was good and god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so they may, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was saw and it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. This is the word of the Lord. Praise and you can be seated. Five words. the first five words, first five words of the Bible reveal the very nature of God. And what are those five words? In the beginning, God created. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, God reveals two very profound aspects of his nature. First, he is eternal. His self-existence is presumed. There was never a time when he was not. The second is that he is creative. His creative, and I would say even artistic predisposition is not just what he does it is more importantly who he is in other words he is intrinsically and essentially the eternally creative one eternally creative that's who he is and i think it's significant that the very first thing god says about himself in the bible is that he is this eternal creator i'm excited that we get to talk about one of my passions for the next 4 weeks And that is creativity and beauty and the arts and artists. And we'll not just talk about it, but experience it through a variety of different expressions all throughout this month. But for many of you, this emphasis on the arts may be a new thing, especially in a church. In fact, many churches are wary of the arts, even suspicious of the arts and suspicious of those weirdly wondrous artists as well. So... I thought it would be good to start with a little bit of a history lesson. For a long time, the arts were an essential way in which the gospel was communicated. Massive tapestries and colorful stained glass windows and ornate sculptures told the ancient stories of the Bible to an illiterate laity. Church buildings were punctuated with gothic arches and and teardrop-shaped windows that reverberated God's glory and pointed their gazes upward to heaven. The communion table, with a colorful tablecloth and ornate serviceware, was the center of the worship, the center of the liturgy, the center of the room. Later, sanctuaries were built to maximize the acoustics of the big pipe organ and the sounds of the choir. Art was everywhere, from the furniture to the architecture, from the sculptures and the paintings, to the incense and the lighting. And then something happened. Martin Luther presented his 95 Theses. Gutenberg made the word of God available to the masses. Reformers like John Calvin prescribed very strict, severe safeguards to prevent prevent making art pieces into idols. There was an increasing distrust of the extravagant, the showy, The arts in general. Slowly, the communion table, arguably the most artistic thing that we do in our worship, was moved from the focal point of the sanctuary and replaced with the pulpit. In the process, our understanding of the arts became somewhat abandoned or ignored or even derised. And perhaps maybe the focal point of our faith may have moved just a tiny little bit from our hearts to our heads. As well. Well, 500 years have passed, and much of the Protestant church still seems to have somewhat of an underdeveloped understanding of the arts and of artists. Outside of the narrowly defined genres of hymns and, and worship songs, most musical styles are pretty much ignored. Dance is often frowned upon, except under the guise of worship movement. The visual arts are often limited to iconic representation like doves and crosses. Or as backgrounds behind the lyrics of songs. Drama is limited to Christmas and Easter or demoted to to children's ministries. Other art forms like poetry, sculpture, and painting are noticeably absent in many of our churches. Even a most basic aesthetic was stripped from our sanctuaries as we adopted a more utilitarian approach to architecture and stagecraft. Today, words like imagination... And beauty and creativity are considered optional parts of being a Christian. But is that the way it's supposed to be? Well, I'm convinced to my bones that we are called to live in an artful kingdom and to express an artful faith. So we are in week one of a four week series that we're calling Artful Faith. And our goal in this series is to grasp a healthy and theologically robust understanding of creativity in the arts. So that we can once again reclaim that aspect of God that I think he seems to think is very important. So this first week we're going to ask the question, why art? And before we go any further, would you pray with me? Creator God. We pray that you would open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, so that we might see and understand and feel your heart better. And so we give our, ourselves to you in humility over these next four weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, why art? Um, I've come up with at least three reasons why art should be an essential aspect of our lives as Christ followers. That's what you're supposed to do when you do a sermon. You know, three reasons. One, art and creativity in general brings delight to God. Two, the arts allow us to express truth and beauty in ways that we could not otherwise express. And three, the arts are one of the main ways in which we create and change culture. So, for the remainder of the message, I'm going to talk about those three. Let's start, start with the first one. Art delights God. I've already mentioned that God is the eternal creator. There are several aspects of this that I can go through, but I thought I would just name one of them. Have you ever thought, what was the role of Jesus during the act of creation? In other words, where was Jesus during Genesis? Well, John one three tells us. It says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Ever pondered about what that... And the implications of what that actually means. It actually is pretty mind blowing to me. The creative muse of the Trinity flowed through the pre incarnate Jesus in those first six days of creation. Through him, cosmos comes from chaos. Just try to imagine our triune God on those first days of creation splashing. Colors here and there, moving atoms and molecules and planets and stars, spinning galaxies upon galaxies. And Father, Son, and Spirit delighting, delighting at every turn. This is good. This is good. This is also good. God's glory reflecting upon itself, the creator delighting in every perfect action of creation. Now here's the thing. Just a few short verses later in verse 26, the Bible says that we are made in God's image. And as such, we also have the ability in some small way to create as he creates. And this is more profound than we even understand. We have sentience, an awareness of being and a consciousness of the universe. We have intellects with the amazing capacity to understand and ponder and offer explanations about the world around us. We have emotion that allows us to feel sadness or joy, pain, and exuberance. We have physicality, which gives us the ability to build stuff, machines, cities, civilizations. And we're not made just as physical beings, but as spiritual beings as well. We're made with a capacity to love as he loves, to have free will, to know good from evil, and also to create as he creates, to express ourselves in imaginative and artistic ways. In all of these ways, we are made in the image of God. In short, we are creative because he is creative. Human creativity is part of what theologians call the cultural mandate, which is essentially kind of our job description here on earth. It's found in Genesis 1, and 28. And it says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This cultural mandate includes the blessing to prosper and procreate, to steward and care for the earth. And also to build and create and express ourselves in the created universe. In a sense, our need to create is embedded into us by God and then mandated to us as part of our purpose here on earth. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. We wouldn't have survived at all in the wilderness had it not been for our ability to be creative or our ability to outthink nature. So when we human beings are creative and artistic and productive we're actually doing God's general will. Let me ask, what was the first job that God gave Adam? It was a creative act to name the animals. It was like sitting with a little child and saying, okay, hun, see that big gray one with the long nose and the fans for ears? What would you call that one? There's one other thing about being made in God's image. God placed within each of us this mysterious aesthetic, some aspect within us that is moved by the sight of beauty. It's like God placed a compass inside of us that always points true north. And so we're not only drawn to beauty and driven by beauty, but also we derive pleasure from beauty as well. So we have the God-given ability to create, the God-given desire to create, And the God-given ability to feel pleasure from creation. And then God commands us to go out and create. It's within each of us. But there's one other thing. God absolutely takes great delight in seeing us create. Think about this. I've used this analogy many times, so it might be old for you. How many of you at one time in your life took one of your children's crayon drawings and hung it on your refrigerator door. Now, why did you do that? Because the art was really good? Maybe, but probably you hung it because you loved your child. And that artwork represents part of who your child is. That creation was an expression of someone you love. Now, this is a drawing... That my oldest grandson, Grant, drew. Mom and dad, right, uh, hit Grant, uh, little brother, Jack-Jack, and baby brother, Bennett. All smiles, sitting in front of their house with a little son tucked into the corner of the sky. This is how he sees the world. When all is right in the universe. How can you not love that drawing? (laughs) Remember that we, you and I, are children of God. His beloved. So this is how God feels about us. And about the things we create. Especially about the things we create for him. Every song, every poem, every dance, every painting, every design, every bit of code we create... Every craft, everything done for the king delights the king. He takes who we are and the expressions of who we are. And he delights in it. Expressions of our life in the kingdom not only bear witness to God, they put a smile on his face. He delights in the creations of his children. He takes what we offer him and he hangs it on the door of his heart. Let's move on to the second point. That art expresses truth and beauty. Now, as I move into this point, I need to comment on the nature of truth. This might be a little controversial. Um, Without going into a long philosophical treatise, I'm simply going to make the statement that there are two types of truth. Rational and non-rational. Rational truth is what we normally think of when we think of truth. It's something that can be proven or reasonably concluded. Two plus two equals four. We believe this to be true because we can understand it through reason. But there's another way to experience truth. Through non-rational truth. Now, notice I didn't say irrational. That would be crazy. Literally. So let me explain. Irrational simply means not rational. Whereas non-rational means it seems contrary to human reason. And as I just stated, truth can be non-rational. So let me give you an example. For those of you who are parents, remember that time when you first held your newborn baby for the very first time? If you're like me, you experienced this undeniable and overwhelming wave of gratitude and acceptance and unconditional love. You simply couldn't help it. You can't rationalize it or explain it, but it's there. It's real. It's they're just the same. Well, that is a form of non-rational truth. Love is a form of non-rational truth. So is beauty. Because these things move beyond human reason. By the way, I'm really excited Kirk Bonhamley will be preaching on the subject of beauty in week four of this series. So I won't say much about this. But I will say that before this relativism relativism crept into our current worldview beauty and truth were considered qualities that were objective and transcendent and inextricably related. So think about this. When Jesus came to earth and incarnated himself into flesh, he carried the most important message to us, the gospel of the kingdom. And such a thing was just too big to explain with simple words. So he spoke in parables, in metaphors, in poetry. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a a fine pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that you drop into a lake. The kingdom of heaven is like a king settling accounts. The kingdom of heaven is like this wedding banquet. He had to use all of these poetic devices, literary devices like metaphor and simile and symbolism because mere words were too small to convey this larger truth. I love what Madeleine Langle says about this. She says, Jesus was not a theologian. He was God who told stories. Here's my point. When we express or interact with the arts or things creative, we speak a non-rational language. Things like dance and poetry and music have the capacity to express truth that is emotive, non-linear, enigmatic, spiritual, sometimes profound. And as such, the arts have the capacity to declare truth that reaches beyond human reason. Julie, through her brush strokes on the canvas this morning, is expressing a non-rational language, which has the capacity for great truth. I'm going to stop for a moment and ask Julie for a second. Julie, what are you doing? (laughs) No idea. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you're trying to express this morning? Well, when we came in and worship was going early this morning, um, and someone brought up in prayer time uh, celebratory, and every time we come in this building, it's a celebration. Mm-hmm. And when I parked my car, there was just gravel and weeds, but this little yellow flower was just beautiful in all its glory. And I picked it, and I thought, about creation and celebration, <clears throat> and that's sort of what I'm attempting to do, just mm. expressing that. That's awesome. In abstract. All right. Good. Go back to work. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Abstract painting, just in, in general, um, forces us to use our mind's eye, to see with a non-rational intellect. And as the Bible says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So, this is why the arts are important, because art is, in a sense, subversive. It sneaks beyond our rationalizations that we place on ourselves and others in the world, and it speaks a non-spoken truth to us that words alone cannot. Have you ever contemplated the night sky, you know, where all the stars are out and the infinite expanse of the universe just sits there in front of you? Well... That night sky speaks a non-rational truth. That our God is wondrous and eternal and almighty. Psalm 19 says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. When you look up at a starry night sky, you're actually looking at a sermon. A non-rational truth about what is true and beautiful about the, about the universe and about who reigns above it. Jeremy Bigby contends that there is a word in the Bible that describes divine beauty. And it's the word glory. In a sense, the night sky is a canvas upon which our great God paints his glory. It's his art. And as I said, the arts are a way in which we can express and experience non-rational truth. In my opinion, if we are to live a more kingdom-focused life, we need to learn in greater ways how to see and hear and sense the non-rational truths that God speaks to us all the time. In the starry night sky, or in the sound of birds chirping, or even just in the simple drawing of a child. Okay, I'm going to go in one more direction this morning. A third reason why the arts are important is because the arts have the capacity to change culture. Now, before we can talk about changing culture, we probably have to understand what culture is. Andy Crouch defines culture as what we make of the world. What we make of the world. But then he goes on to say that this definition has two related but separate meanings. First, culture is what we actually make. Films, fire hydrants, governments, bedtime stories, fantasy football leagues, languages, social networks, vegan restaurants, submarines, and civilizations are just some of the things that make up. What a culture is. But then there is a deeper sense of the phrase. What we make of the world is also to ask the question what do you make of that? In other words, culture is also how we make sense of our lives. Culture includes how we interpret, assign meaning, create paradigms, and relate to one another and all of creation. Both of these definitions. What we create and also how we make sense of the things we create is what defines culture. So let's think about that for a moment. If this is true, then the creative people of the world are one of the main creators of culture. We not only create the things of the world, but we also create many of the means upon which we ascribe meaning to the world around us. Now let me add one more thing. Andy Crouch contends that there are five ways in which we typically engage culture. We can critique it, you know, applaud the good and complain about the bad. Or we can copy it, which is what a lot of contemporary Christian music has done for many years. We can cocoon from it, you know, physically and socially separate ourselves from the influences of culture. Or we can simply consume it, you know, just jump headfirst into the latest pop music or social media or artificial intelligence without regard to the consequences. Or one other option. The only option that truly furthers the kingdom of God. Crouch contends, and I agree, that the only way to change culture is to create more of it. In other words, it's not enough to critique or copy or cocoon or consume. To change culture, to make a difference in the world, we must also create culture. And this kind of brings us back to this cultural mandate that we talked about just a minute ago. God calls us to fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, he calls us to create culture that's aligned to his will and his kingdom. And culture takes on many forms. The songs we sing, especially the songs here in worship, help people relate to their feelings and emotions. The movies we watch open people's eyes to worlds and worldviews. The books we read, the paintings we see, the plays we watch, every artistic expression has the capacity to help people relate to the world and perhaps experience God. The arts give people the voice that they sometimes cannot articulate on their own. Let me speak for just a moment to those people who consider themselves artists or creatives. You need to create. Whether you're a dancer or a writer or a woodworker or a musician or a guy writing computer code. Because your artistic voice is speaking something into the world. And I hope that voice bears witness to the truth of God, His grace, His goodness, His gospel. The arts are language that can speak deeply into worship, into mission, into community, and into our soul formation. But the cultural mandate isn't just for artists. If you're a a stay-at-home parent, you are creating culture in your home, one that demonstrates an alternative way of living to your children. If you're a coach, you're creating culture on your team that demonstrates community, work ethic, teamwork. If you're a boss or a contractor or a medical person or an engineer, you're creating culture in your offices and workplaces and hospitals. If you're a politician or a leader of any kind, you are architects of society. And hopefully the culture you are creating is one that speaks to God's grace and goodness and gospel. Remember, culture is what we make and also how we make sense of what we make. The arts give us the means upon which we can craft culture that is redemptive and kingdom-oriented. We all have the capacity to be artistic culture makers. As a pastor here at Oak Hills, I think about creating and curating our church culture all the time. And I think about those people who have the very special gift of being able to make music or create movement or author books or create visual art like Julie here. I think that part of my job is is simply to create in, encourage people like Julie to use their gifts for the kingdom. Here in the church, and out into the world. So, let's get back to the first thing we talked about. Are you an artist? I've covered a lot of ground, and I've shared a few concepts that uh, you can chew on, and I'd love to talk more about it if you want to talk later. I've been building this case that the arts are an essential part of living in the kingdom of God. Let me close by asking you to imagine trying to live out your faith without the arts. Okay? It's pretty much impossible. Let me, just, let me just narrow it down to one thing. Imagine the Bible without the arts. Imagine the Bible without the book of Psalms, the Song of Solomon, most of the book of Isaiah, Revelation, all of Jesus' parables and most of what he said, the first chapter of Genesis, a bunch of other stuff. The stuff that is poetic and picturesque and metaphorical and beautiful. Well, the remaining Bible would be informative and factual, but it would lack soul, and much more, I think. So, at the beginning of this message, I asked if you were an artist. Now, let me ask the question again, but different this time. Is God an artist? Are you made in the image of God? Then live an artful faith. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, once again, we come before you, and your truth overwhelms us. We ask, Lord, that you would um, use, through your Holy Spirit, use that truth to go deeply into our bones and change us and transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus. Amen.